This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast that honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name's Stephen Portia. My name's Andrew Carroll. Today we're discussing frequent action hero and villain, Carl Urban, and we have a very special guest to help us do that. Uh, You may know him from film blog Cold Coffee Press. Or by his Aeronauts review, he wrote for Headstuff. Uh, he thinks Willem Dafoe is going to get an Oscar nomination for The Lighthouse, much You're to insane. the chagrin of You're Andrew. Insane. It's Sean Moriarty. If that happens, hello, I'll buy hello. you all a pint. Thank you very much for having me, and I still stand by it, even though I haven't even seen the film yet. Do you have any I'll thoughts? let you know when I see it next Saturday. Ah, <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on Carl Urban? Yeah, I remember coming across, um, it was a photo I saw on the internet saying that he is the ultimate king of the nerd cinema, because he has been a supporting player in a lot of of big franchises they were talking Lord of the Rings like he had an appearance in one of the Marvel movies Thor Ragnarok uh, The Chronicles of Riddick and The Boys which came out recently The Boys The Boys <laughs> Andrew yeah. do you have um, Carl Urban's history I do indeed sweet Carl Urban was born in 1972 in Wellington Wellington, New Zealand his acting career began at age 8 with a small one line role in Pioneer Woman and he began acting professionally in the early 90s with small TV and film roles he broke into Hollywood with Ghost Ship and The Lord of the Rings, both released uh, both of those films, The Two Towers and Ghost Ship, released in the same year. And since then, he has co-starred and supported in numerous blockbusters. And in 2019, he returned to TV with The Boys the on boys. Amazon. Um, the questions I want to lay out for this episode is that, um, well, Kyle Urban's so handsome. Yeah. He's six foot one inches. Oof. He's the closest thing to a conventional Hollywood leading actor who we've covered on the show. Like the he, ultimate Chad. Mm. He's a star. And has had sizable supporting roles in... You know, two Lord of the Rings, a Bourne, two Riddicks, three Star Treks, a Marvel. And he also has had lead roles in like big budget Hollywood movies. Yeah. So mm. how come Urban is not a household name and how is he a character actor? And I don't choose to answer this now. I think we can work through the reasons throughout the show, yeah. um, maybe saving our like conclusions for the end. Yeah. But um, I, I think that's an interesting lens to fr- frame this episode through yeah. because he's a lot different to the people we've covered already on the show. Mm. I'd bring it all down to bad choices, to be honest. Yeah, bad choices by either him or his casting agent. Mm. Yeah, just so, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, Pathfinder. He was like, "Oh, cool, Native American Lord of the Rings," and it just wasn't that. <laughs> Even though I'm not Native American, which is <laughs> yeah, a big yeah, problem. yeah, a like, real problem there. Other yeah. other than the uh, the DVD case, which I frequently saw while going to Extravision as a young boy, I don't actually know what Pathfinder is about. I just used to see this image of this little small man fighting this man who was like twice his height, with like covered in battle armor and like with the horns. Yeah. So I got the impression that it was something to do with. You know, okay, we're, we're, we're starting with Pathfinder this then. This is the yeah. most anybody's <laughs> no. talked about Pathfinder yeah. <laughs> in 10 years. Aside from when they were doing the Junkers and like the Q&A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we would probably start at the beginning. So, um, okay, Ghost yeah. Ship. Yeah. yeah, Ghost Ship, Woo! yeah. That was his, bra- his kind of All aboard. breakout into Hollywood, yeah. He's a guy called Munder, which is the most, <laughs> the most new Kiwi name I've ever heard. He's Munda. like a salvage ship crewmate and like the ship's mechanic and kind of thing. He's like just a dirtbag with like a greasy <laughs> ponytail. Yeah, he, lo- he looks really, really, really bad because it looks like he still kind of has the hair the kind of beard and hair from when they were fil- he was playing Aemer in The Lord of the Rings, which was filmed like very late 90s, early 2000s kind of. And it looks like he went on to Ghost Ship directly after that. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'm in this movie. And like The Lord of the Rings could have been such a stratospheric rise for his career. And then it was meteoric p- impact into Ghost <laughs> Ship. Because if you think about how little he's in 
the two towers. Do you think maybe he filmed Ghost Ship like in his, his off time, maybe? Or? Possibly, quite possibly, yeah. yeah. Tied the yeah. Hell up and, like, yeah. But like, I feel like it was kind of ha- Lord of the Rings was like really handy for him because he already lived in New Zealand at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah he, was, he just showed up yeah. one yeah. day. And Peter Jackson was like, yeah, you're the best looking out of all these hairy guys I've hired. Come on in. You be the leader. That's what the audition process was yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So he's working on a ship and doesn't realize it's a ghost ship? No, he's... What? It's a, like a... So it's this salvage crew that, you know, find broken down or battered ships and bring them in for repairs or to be scrapped and get money for the salvage. And this pilot brings the crew, uh, among whom is like Gabriel Byrne plays the captain. Isaiah Washington is like one of the guys on the ship, a shipmate, a sailor, you know, one of those things, one of those jobs you have on a ship. And there are other people in there as well whose names I can't remember. And basically they're told about this legendary ship, kind of like the modern Mary Celeste. And so they uh, sail out and find it. And then, surprise, surprise, it's a ghost ship. Uh, Haunted by a ghostly 14-year-old Emily Browning. Oh. Yeah. 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 All I know about this movie is that the beginning is really great. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. The, the beginning's night. unreal. And then just... What, it's like tripwire or something? That yeah, goes it's like a tripwire strung across the ballroom and it just cuts everyone in half. <laughs> the practical effects are so good. Yeah. And then it just gets hamstrung by really shitty CGI. It's I remember the, seeing yeah. there was one moment where there was a couple dancing and then after the zipwire cuts through, the, the upper torso of, of the, the one comes off and the man's still holding her. And he's yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> or there's a woman reaching for her legs to put them back on. <laughs> it sounds like a good idea for a movie how come you think it doesn't work it's just a bad horror movie like it's a really like one of those early kind of 2000s movies that were like what if we just put blood and all of the dialogue is crap and most of the special effects are crap and we sell it and it'll make a profit Mm. and it fucking did it was made like 70 million dollars um but you know it's just one of those things that you just it's just so easy to forget after you watched it you said you saw some reports on that there was problems behind the scenes with it. Yeah, so when I was doing research for Carl Urban's filmography, yeah. I, looked, I looked up and it said that this was his first Hollywood film. So I clicked into it and apparently they had intended for a more psychological thriller with this. Mm. The way it was yeah, pitched originally well. was yeah. it was going to be The Shining on a boat. Which sounds like a great idea. With um, the tensions amongst the crew members and one of them going insane, which yeah. I think is... It kind of happens, yeah. Gabriel Byrne goes insane and then they lock him in like this tank that's easily filled with water and he just drowns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, apparently the producer, Joel Silver, wanted a more um, kind of conventional gore fest of yeah. the film. So all the actors had signed on reading the first draft of the script mm. and when they showed up to set, they then handed them the new draft, yeah. which was the much gorier version. I remember... Yeah. I remember Seems like, a bit scabby, that. Though. I just yeah. have this vision of Carl Urban arriving on set and reading the new script <laughs> and then just... His old future career flashes before his eyes and he just goes, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> you were saying as well about the poster. There's like a, a great like yes, tagline. Yes, the tagline is Sea Evil, but spelled S-E-A. Ooh. But the font is so big that it looks like it stars an actor called Sea Evil. <laughs> That's the name of the ship they used yeah. in his sea debut. <laughs> but that the, the front of the ship is... Is it like a, a skeleton? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. wish it was just Carl Urban's face. Yeah. I wish that was what <laughs> the ship looked like. It'd be way cooler. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. But like one of the yeah. Thompson tank engine. Like. Hey guys, <laughs> it's me, Sea Evil. All aboard. <laughs> Thankfully, Carl Urban had like a month later had the chance to redeem himself with Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It came yeah. out. I haven't seen Lord of the Rings since I was a kid. I'm not as big into them as a lot of other people are. So mm. can you talk? Tell me about who's he play? Emer? Emer. Yeah. Emer. And he's um, horse lord of Rohan. Mm. He's the uh, rider of the Riddermark. <laughs> he's the nephew of uh, the Odin. <laughs> Saruman has poisoned the mind of the king and claimed lordship over these lands. 
My company are those loyal to Rohan. And for that, we are banished. The White Wizard is cunning. He walks here and there, they say. There's an old man, hooded and cloaked. And everywhere his spies slip past our nets. When we first meet him, he's been banished because the king's mind has been poisoned yeah. by Sarah. The king recognizes friend nor foe. That was actually pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But um, did you guys see this as well? There's a goof in that film, like a little blunder, where uh, when he's talking to Aragorn and Legolas about the fate of uh, mm. Pippin and Merry, when he gets on his uh, horse before he gives the um, hope as... Was it Hope has left these lands? Yeah, yeah. His sword falls out of his holster. So it's like, no wonder he got banished. Yeah. Like, he can't even take care of his sword. <laughs> useless, yeah. Like Mr. Bean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I read as well that his role in that film was, wasn't as... Apparently it's more prominent in the books. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, he does have some great moments in that yeah, film. Yeah, he's got some great lines and some good moments. Uh, but he, I feel like he kind of gets lost in the ensemble a bit. Yeah. His arc could have been better, along with his sister Eowyn's arc could have been better had they just killed off Theoden in the two towers and had them be like joint heirs or whatever of acting king and queen or whatever of um, Rohan yeah and it would have been like a cool kind of juxtaposition with Aragorn's character of where of someone getting kingship forced upon them Mm. so like you know the draws back to the famous phrase oh, some are born into greatness like Aemor was or Aragorn was others of greatness thrust upon them and they both have that kind of responsibility yeah. and when put you f- on them when you first meet him as well because this was a recurring thing I, I noticed about uh, Carl Urban's filmography that at first like you initially think that Theoden's a bit of a uh, um, a loose cannon like he's a bit of a wild heart he's a renegade but then you find out there's more kind of going on and yeah. a lot of Carl Urban's characters I've noticed from watching his films that he usually plays people that you would you would form an assumption when you first meet them yeah, but exactly. then as the film yeah. progresses yeah. they kind of get an arc yeah, and you yeah, realise yeah. they have like an internal moral conflict yeah kind of like Scourge and yeah the, oh, Scourge like amazingly best. even <laughs> though he's, one, he's yeah. one of the sporting characters like his arc in that is just, yeah. I just find in so fascinating yeah. Yeah. in Thor Ragnarok yeah um, but then there's that great moment in Two Towers the, um, where he's on the top of the hill mm. for Helm's yeah, Deep yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. Roll him yeah yeah and I just I love Theoden's look in his face when he sees him he's He's like, son, he, he's just you like, came this, home. This little proud face. I'm like, oh my God, you came. It's like when the kids, when they see Santa, like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm so sad I'm not into Lord of the Rings. I really yeah. want to get involved in this. Uh, it sounds great. It, yeah, it is good, but it's also nine hours. That's it. Yeah. I just thought, <laughs> challenge accepted. Lore, yeah. <laughs> people started slotting him into other second movies in a franchise. Yeah. yeah he's yeah, in the yeah. Born Supremacy key role there. He's in Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, in both he sort of plays antagonists or anti-heroes yeah, yeah so in the Born Supremacy he plays Kirill who's sort of the Russian, Russian equivalent to Matt Damon's yeah, hitman yeah. Jason Bourne um, he's tasked with killing Matt Damon's character and he's the one who murders Franca Patentos Marie mm-hmm. who's the love interest in the first movie in like the opening minutes yeah. and he's also involved in the climactic Moscow car chase at the end which is really exciting mm. partly because it looks so practical and probably yeah, because yeah. of uh, Paul Greengrass's sort of cinema yeah, verite yeah. thing. Paul Greengrass dropping the camera constantly. Yeah, and you really feel like you're, <laughs> in, you're in the car with Matt Damon and or like a fly on the wall, which yeah, is really yeah. cool. And it also destroyed action cinema when people who weren't as good as Paul Greengrass tried to do it yeah, for yeah, 10 yeah, years yeah. later. I think yeah. it's like Paul Greengrass is probably one of the only few filmmakers who can actually perfect the art at the shaky cam. Yeah, yeah. Mm, like yeah, it feels like true. he's like, don't leave me out. I don't want to get in this fight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the topic of Urban in Born Supremacy, uh, I think he's solid. He adds like this muscular quiet intensity to Bourne's adversary and he also looks really cool running in a leather trench coat <laughs> that goes down to his knees with a gun really cool it's sort of a silent he only talks has only has a handful of lines yeah, in it, but yeah. he's good does he does he have a Russian accent I think he does yeah because yeah. of Riddick as well which was Vin Diesel's really weird attempt to turn his claustrophobic avian movie Pitch mm. Black which is about a convict 
in the future being transported to a prison in a spacecraft and the mm. spacecraft crashes and he has to team up with his captors to fight a bunch of aliens yeah. who are on that planet mm. him trying to turn that pretty simple little generic premise into star wars basically yeah. 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 yeah this weird space opera and again i'm not really into it for the same reasons as i said about lord of the rings yeah. it's very lore heavy fridley ding hiddly bong mm. all that stuff hiddly bong um i much prefer we were talking about before we went on air but i, I think the third riddick movie is great because it's so stripped back Andrew yeah. thinks it's okay I think it's okay I think it's it feels too long I've, re- I've read reviews saying that it does feel like three different films mesh into one but that there isn't like a clear structure between the three different kind of films because the start's very isolated it's him like in the desert trying to fight off these like, creatures and then it becomes more of like a, a siege thriller at one point it's kind of why I like it because the second one is so epic and broad and I like how it made this sort of claustrophobic hmm. Again, strip back thriller, yeah. like the pitch back out of all those elements left over from the second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really appreciate that. And it also just has some amazing kills in it, mm. which I, can't go wrong. Yeah. Like the whole bit where Jordy Mala is like, I'm going to put your head in a box. I'm going to put your head in a box. Yeah. And then Vin Diesel cuts off his head and it falls into his own box. <laughs> Someone stood up <laughs> in my screen <laughs> and like applauded. <laughs> but that's not the movie we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about the second one. Yeah. Uh, and I remember thinking um, Urban was good as Vaco. Vaco. He has like terrible names in movies. Yeah. But he has great looks for a ter- lot of his He also has terrible hair in uh, The Chronicles of Rick. Yes, he does. Yeah. He has the kind of like... The shaved sides yeah, and yeah. the mullet ponytail. Like, what are people thinking with that hairstyle? <laughs> <laughs> who nope. Like, who considers that fashionable? Vaco. Celtic fascists, maybe. <laughs> no one else. <laughs> yeah, but he plays Vaco, this person who... Starts off as an enemy of Riddick, but then forms an uneasy alliance yeah. with him to take down Very another uneasy, enemy. Especially Very considering uneasy. the third one. Yeah, where he uh, just abandons him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Vin Diesel must have liked working with Urban because he's the only actor, I believe, who is in Chronicles of Riddick who mm. returns in the third movie, Riddick. Yeah. And uh, he kind of fills the gaps between the two movies. Yeah, you know, yeah. Pretty, pretty yeah. brief opening yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. And then, so, so far with Urban, so far so good. Yeah. A couple uh, of good franchises, right? Yeah. The problem is then, though, the minute he starts making waves in the Hollywood industry, people be like, we got to put this guy as a main guy. All these movies are making so much money. But the stuff he's getting offered in Hollywood is often helmed by less proficient, I don't like to use the word, but pretty hacky yeah. mm. uh, style over substance directors. So that's the case with Doom and Pathfinder, two really derivative, mm. really right. boring movies, which do urban really dirty. Yeah. In the case of Doom, uh, which is a video game adaptation, yeah. have you played the, you're the video game editor? For yes, that stuff? I yeah. have. I've played all all the Dooms. All great, except for the third one. But uh, yeah, brilliant games. Give Could a it shot. be a good movie, do you think? There's possibly, yeah. Not as good as the video game, though. But the video game is very simplistic in its nature. It's yeah, it's creatures much, yeah, come yeah. out from and hell. The, and the, the movie does, it does its best to try that, but it adds way too much on. It could be like, Dread is probably the closest we'll ever get to like... A Doom movie. Yeah, or The Raid or something like that, except you replace all the gangsters with demons mm. and give the man a shotgun. There's a, essentially a portal to hell is opened on Mars in the game and that invades the station and things mm. go to shit. A lot of people say that there's a sequence towards the end where it kind of shifts into, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it, where it yeah. shifts into the POV. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Going, and that's yeah. close to the game. I've heard people say that's either the best part of the film or the most laughable. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty bad. That's the, I saw Doom when I was younger and apart from that and one, or like I kind of remembered the Rock's arc in that movie mm-hmm. where he's, goes evil turns into yeah, like a beast. yeah yeah where he's supposed to be like the good guy but yeah. instead he's the bad guy but it's really bad when pretty much the only moment you remember in a movie is a bit where it goes into that 
POV yeah, for a shooter yeah. thing because it's like it'd watching be, someone else play a video game. Yeah, it'd be like if Kick-Ass was bad because that had that as well. Yeah. Is, there, is there a reason like why it happens though? Or is it just all of a sudden it just quickly shifts? Quickly shifts. I can't remember. I didn't get that far into the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing a funny uh, moment with The Rock where he was at some sort of uh, award ceremony and he asked the audience, have you guys ever seen the movie Doom? And they went, eh, like, quite and he goes, neither to the rest of the world. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, oh, both Doom and Pathfinder did not recoup their budgets. Oh. But also just the fact that, back to the first person shooter scene, why deny audiences the pleasure of seeing Carl Urban do that? He looks yeah. great with a gun. Yeah, it's true. You yeah, know, yeah. he's six foot one. Yeah. My dream is six for him to play... Six foot one with a motherfucking gun. <laughs> hey, that's good. Because that's the name of one of the guns in it. It's yeah. like the, BF- the BFG, big fucking gun, yeah. <laughs> but um, in the lead up there, like we've seen that he's being attached to these projects. But I think one of the recurring things is like whatever he's in, whether it's good or bad, he's always giving it his all. Like he's always trying to make an effort. Like and even in something like um, Priest, which we'll, we'll get to in a bit, but like Priest, he, his characters are really cool looking at and he's like having fun in like when he's surrounded by a bunch of like stoic bored Paul Bettany's and Maggie Q's I feel like if he if he didn't try they'd he'd probably stop getting cast in these movies <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that he gets offered lead roles in often just feel like cursed things yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. and even, yeah, the, even one, the good ones even the good ones yeah, like yeah. Dread a lot whatever, of problems yeah. you know? Dread oh Dread um, so Doom was directed by Andrzej Bartkowiak, who um, directed Exit Wounds oh, wow. and Cradle to the Grave and Romeo Must Die, the DMX trilogy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so not really. Wasn't Jet Li in two of those? I think he is in mm. Cradle to the Grave yeah. and Romeo Must Die, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but not really a guy with a lot of vision. Yeah. I think he was yeah. a cinematographer and he worked on a lot of good movies, mm. but I think as a director, he doesn't have much of a voice. And then, yeah, similarly, Pathfinder is directed by Marcus Nispel, uh, who's an, a notable music video director in the 90s, who then later transitioned to movies. And it centers on this Viking kid. His people are slaughtering a Native American community in America, and he's left behind for showing mercy against a young Native American boy. Mm. So he's subsequently raised by the Native Americans. Uh, and as an adult, he's played by Carl Urban. And he must defend his new tribe when the murderous Vikings return, uh, led by a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty amazingly played by Clancy Brown, yeah. someone who is like 10 times above the piece of crap he's yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. You know? Mr. It's, Krabs. It's weird because um, he doesn't do a good job of protecting his tribe. It's hard to keep track of. There's a lot of different communities of Native Americans. Yeah, so yeah. you see some of them being slaughtered in these very chaotic, very Paul Greengrassy action scenes, yeah, except yeah. he's not like Paul Greengrass yeah. and Cam Handler. And so then when other Native Americans show up, you're like, oh, I thought you all died. Oh, okay, <laughs> cool. And then he has to defend these people. Yeah. And then the whole part of the movie is the Vikings are trying to find the next village of Native Americans go to and he's yeah. trying to guide them and like lay a traps for them. Yeah, yeah. And stuff. And you're like, there's more. There's a third Native American? Yeah, there's the a whole... third act? <laughs> Actually, we'll say the, the last act of the movie, which is set in a mountain cliffside, yeah. And uh, involves ropes, and it's like a trap where Carl Urban has to knock down the pr- last. Pr- they're all tie each other with ropes to stay safe, and then he knocks out the person at the back, so they all fall down. Mm-hmm. And him and Clancy Brown at this sort of sword fight at the edge of a mountain, really good. But it's ruined again by they put stock footage of avalanches in. Oh no! <laughs> they fall. It looks so bad. I feel like it's a movie with a a few good ideas and some really poor execution. Because there's the bit where they're like the sled kind of chase. That's really good, actually. Goes down the sl- uh, the mountainside on his shield, and he's chased by uh, Vikings on sleds. It's a good idea, but it doesn't work because Carl Urban is just gripping the shield. Yeah, and they, sh- they shoot it like 
a Formula One race. Yeah, yeah. On, you're like the sli- It couldn't go this fast. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you would just slightly yeah. go down. Yeah. I feel like if they ha- kind of heightened it a bit more and gave it like a real comic book edge, where he stands up on the shield and starts hacking at people, then you've yeah. got a movie. And then it plays the Beach Boys. It sounds like from the way you guys are describing that it's kind of stuck between two different themes. Like it's trying to go for a more serious edge and then it kind of delves into the more hackneyed it's, kind of. It's very Zack Snyder y in that it's like, yeah, blood, blood slow mo, monochrome metal. images, yeah. new metal. The Vikings look insane, yeah. which is actually a bit of it I kind of like. They look like people that auditioned for Slipknot and weren't let in because yeah. they were too extreme. <laughs> And there's even that story where they hired, I'm not sure if it's true if they hired anything, but people complained saying like Vikings didn't wear horned helmets. Like yeah. that's known to be a lie. Yeah. And they were just like, we don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and then they just didn't hire Native Americans. You know, you know Native Americans weren't white. And it's like, and they, we don't care. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the thing as well. Like yeah. it's a straight up white savior yeah, movie yeah. without any sense of like irony about yeah. that or yeah. subversion of that. Uh, it's also very like such a Lord of the Rings an apocalypto ripoff as well. Yeah, yeah. But without any of the great characters in those movies, the iconic set pieces, mm-hmm. or like any interesting take on its genre. Yeah. Mm. So it's still a bit of really disappointing. And I think Carl Urban, again, there's like little moments in his character that are a bit decent. Like he has a friend in the movie who's mute mm-hmm. and he kind of succumbs to his wounds very quietly. And you see the look of sadness in Carl Urban's eyes yeah. and you understand how devastating he is without having said a word. And then he only gets to mourn for eight seconds because. Mm right after he gets attacked by a viking mm. and he has to shift from mourning into like action mode yeah yeah that's quite a good moment but um think they're kind of few and far between in the yeah. movie yeah from the way you're describing it, it sounds quite beautiful like it sounds very that poetic. yeah yeah if nice. it wasn't for the shit brown paste <laughs> smeared over the camera <laughs> lens the movie is so garish looking yeah yeah but he, he does sort of rebound after these two failures with he takes a two-year break and then comes back with Star Trek. Yeah, I almost said Star Wars. Star, Star yeah. Trek. When Star Trek, um, the movie, the the one that came out in two thousand nine, was it? Yeah, yeah. What I'd have found out then was that Star Trek never has never really ended since the sixties. There's just there's always a new series. There's always a movie, or at worst, there's always a novel tie into something or a board game. Mm. There's yeah. a TV show happening right now. Yeah, that Netflix, no one watches the Netflix one, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Do you Discovery. watch it? No. Do you watch it? No. no I was I was it. never a Trekkie growing up. I I loved Star Wars, but I never actually got into Star Trek growing up. It always just seemed like it was a I think because Star Trek is uh, is kind of like uh my friend who's a big Trekkie has always described it as kind of like this utopian human ideal and the challenges it faces when it interacts with like other alien races whose ideals don't match those of humanity. To be honest, the whole u- sci-fi utopian ideal sounds really boring, frankly. Yeah. I'll be honest, and you know, I'd, I'd rather watch like, two people put on fi- some Beastie Boys. Yeah, yeah I'd rather yeah. watch two people More fight with flares. I'd rather watch two people fight with laser swords. Mm. You know? And yeah. I think that's what I, I feel set that phasers to stun. That was JJ James's take on Star Trek, where yeah. we take some of these interesting ideas, but then we just make it Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's great. Yeah, I really like those movies. I really like, especially with the first one, that he directs it with such a hyper visceral kind of sense that like the warp drive and that just feels like yeah. colours are beautiful like, oh, my Trekkie friends are going to hate me for this <laughs> <laughs> there's that great, Sorry, there's that Sorry, great moment where the it's okay, at the start yeah. the attack on the ship and the woman that gets sucked out into space but as she mm. gets sucked out all the sound cuts out yeah yeah it's such yeah. a great like yeah. sound design moment I'm pretty sure it did get nominated for like sound design or sound editing sure it did at yeah. the Oscars but um yeah, and Carl Urban as well as who is he playing? Plays he... Leonard Bones McCoy. Leonard Bones. Damn it, McCoy. Jim! I'm a doctor. 
<laughs> Not a Pathfinder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he pays the comic relief um, in this in these movies, which is something he said that he was very happy to do because he was tired of the action-oriented roles. And uh, mm. I think he's really delightful in it. There's something... He has this very deep, tenored American accent. And the character is very irascible. But that anger often comes from a very human and emotional place. Mm, yeah. Making him a nice counterbalance of the very measured logic driven Spock mm. who he often refers to as a pointy eared bastard yeah. <laughs> pointy eared bastard and there's that bit that are you out of your fucking mind <laughs> <laughs> and there's just something so inherently funny about seeing Urban a person who's so adept at playing action heroes bringing that intensity to a very whiny character yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? like he's introduced into the 2009 film discussing all the bad things that can happen uh, when you're flying in space mm. and Chris Pine's character tries to calm him down and he replies see if you're still so relaxed when your eyeballs are bleeding <laughs> and as he says that his eyes bulge yeah. and it's just great control mania yeah yeah, yeah. Isn't like one of the first lines he says to like Kirk is like, I might throw up on you. Yeah, like, that's, that's the, the very sign first of line. like a great friendship. Exactly. But I remember listening to an interview with him uh, the other night and he was talking about uh, approaching the character because originally it was played by uh, Forrest Kelly. He said that when that actor was brought on to play that character, he was only the doctor. Like he was only going to be in it for a couple of episodes, but it was because of his chemistry with um, Shatner and Nimoy that his role was elevated to a... Um, a bigger supporting lead. Damn it, Jim, I'm a lead, not a supporting <laughs> character. <laughs> but it just kind of shows that like his charisma and his chemistry with the other actors might um can elevate him into a, a more a bigger role than just the doctor on the ship. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think Star Trek Into Darkness, which is a movie I also like quite a bit, suffers from reducing his role. Yeah. And I feel what DeForest Kelly, I just found it out there, is the original actor who right. played. <laughs> and I, I think that um yeah, he gets a bit short shortchanged in Star Trek Into Darkness to that film's detriment. And I think what's really good about Star Trek Beyond, which is the one that came out in 2016, um, which J.J. Abrams was off making Star Wars, so they got Justin Lin into mm. direct. And I've heard it's quite a chaotic production. Mm. Yeah. I think because there's, I think his role is a lot bigger in this movie for a number of reasons. Um, firstly, it's the least epic of the three. Mm. It's sort of a hangout movie designed as a sci-fi adventure in that it centers on the Enterprise crew maroon on a planet, each split up from each other and split off into two. So it's a little bit more ground and a little bit more human because of that. And he gets paired with Spock. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. you have that counterbalance yeah. really playing out in a yeah. great way. And uh, also Beyond is written by Simon Pegg, who's a comedic actor and writer probably. So I feel he booked up Urban's role as a way to put his stamp on it. Mm. And also apparently because the script was written on the fly like it was, he there was a lot of collaboration. And there's an interview where Urban was talking about you know what he brought to the character and he said he talked with Simon Pegg a lot about how the fact that he's Bones is quite anxious because he didn't join Starfleet to be a fighter or be mm, a soldier yeah, or be in yeah. combat he's just a doctor so he yeah. ends up being embroiled on all these missions and he, that's why he's so irascible all the time yeah. and there's a bit in the movie where Spock and him get marooned and there's they are trying to find a way back to everybody and they have to go through this sort of weird looking alien tunnel with all these insects yeah. coming out of it mm. Spock is like fascinating and he replies, it's dark, <laughs> ominous. Yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> Let's go in. Yeah. There's all that stuff. And it's, yeah. it's really funny. I think the connection between um, Spock and Bones, it's, it's definitely more developed in that film. And there's that great moment where after they land and he's injured and he's trying to uh, distract him. He's like, what's your favorite color? And he goes, I failed to see the red. Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or there's that really good bit where earlier on in the movie, they set it up that Spock and Attempt, uh, Uhura? Uhura, yeah. Uhura, Zoe Saldana's character. Zoe Saldana's character have broken up and she tries to give him back a necklace. Mm. 
that he'd given her and he says no it's not a Vulcan tradition to take back necklaces such a nerd <laughs> and <laughs> later on in the movie they realize that they can track where she is when they get split up from that necklace because oh, okay. it has a radiation trace on it oh, okay. and Jim is like you gave your wife radiation <laughs> and he's like well it's actually harmless to the human you know human skin yeah. Oh. But it, it leaves off a faint trace, so it can be used as a tracking device. And he's like, so you gave your wife a tracking device? <laughs> and he's like, that was not my intention. Like, really good comedy that yeah, is also yeah. good character Perfect building Perfect odd well. couple. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, yeah I like I like Beyond. Mm. I think it's it's definitely the, the more loose out of the three. But yes. It's still fun. And then after that, he, I think, explores that fun side a little bit more red. Oh, yeah, mm. red. Yeah. Shut the fuck up, Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> he gets the twelve A ref bomb. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. But when you f- even his introduction in that, like where he's um he's in- investigating the crime scene while on the headset to his wife about his kid being bullied in school, while oh, yeah. another guy's oh, being yeah, tied yeah, up yeah, in the chair, yeah. and he's like, every child gets bullied, and he's like, it pans away, and you see a, like this criminal like tied up. Yeah, he's yeah. getting ready to interrogate him. I just thought it was a funny like just juxtaposition. Yeah. Um, he's but, also the bad guy in Priest as well around this time. Mm. Which is a movie I remember liking as a kid, although I, I vaguely thought I liked Pathfinder because I but I realized I only remembered the bit on the mountain, which is yeah, good. Yeah. Um, but it's just you watched Priest for this as a hold up. I did, yes. Uh, it's it it. I was just thinking that it feels like it was directed by someone who specializes in visual effects. Turns out it was because the guy who directed Scott, Scott Stewart. Yeah, yeah, he'd worked on the Harry Potter films as the visual effects oh, okay, supervisor yeah, and yeah. a number of other big projects. Yeah. And his first film was a film called Legion. Legion, great movie. Which is, Angels uh, with Uzis. Angels with Uzis. Yeah, that's if that's all you need to see. Just type in Legion and Google Images. Angels with Uzis. Uh, this one essentially is follows a similar kind of premise. It's like a futuristic priests world. with Uzis, priests with Uzis, <laughs> fighting vampires. Yeah. And it should make for a fun time, but I think it does get caught up in the seriousness of it. And also, the ed- it's some of the worst editing I've ever seen in a film. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it feels like, you know, those kind of made-for-TV versions of f- films where they cut down the violence and they mm. cut down... Because there's a lot of moments where if they went for the R rating or they went for the 15s or 16s, they could have really got some gory kills into it. And Carl Urban plays uh, Black Hat. He was a former priest who was then attacked by the Vampire Queen and now has become a human-vampire hybrid. The church teaches us that the eyes are the windows to the soul. And since vampire evolved without eyes, it is a soulless creature to be eradicated. And I have seen the soul of the vampire. And let me tell you, it is far more pure than that of any man. Now you ask me what I am. I am the bringer of the tide. I am the way for the wash clean this unclean world. He's clearly one of the only actors in the film who's having fun with the role, mm. and he has a southern drawl, and oh, he has nice. this kind of nice little fedora. He has a, a black hat. Yeah. <laughs> and there's one moment where this is, they keep panning to this giant train. This, it's like this train that's bigger than a normal yeah, train, yeah. and it's carrying all these prisoners. And My God, a- it's like a train, but bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Two trains. <laughs> but um, there's a bit where um, Lily Collins is in it, and she's this. Um, turns out she's the daughter of Paul Bettany's priest character and she's been kidnapped by Carl Urban and we first meet him there's all these kind of like surely that goes against Catholic doctrine <laughs> <laughs> but um, when we first meet Black Hat there's all these like little minion vampires and they're like let me have a I want a, I want a feast on it and Carl yeah. Urban puts his hand on one of them and flings him back but like in a very dramatic fashion yeah. that's always my favourite thing in vampire movies the yeah. Renfield yeah, yeah you know or the Penny Dreadful it's yeah. like an Ollie Alexander like yeah. people were just like yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh master and um, yeah. like there's other shots where he's like sitting on this kind of like chair but he's like flicking his fingers like that 
and he's interrogating so he's interrogating Brad Dourif who's in like two scenes in the film no, I remember being really good and he's like saying you know what your blood tastes like it tastes delicious and then he just takes a big bite out of it Ooh. and you can tell he's having the time of his life yeah, and he, yeah, he, I think yeah. he might be aware of how ridiculous yeah. it is and it, it brings that element yeah. to it because Paul Bettany's going around just bored out of his mind probably yeah. the uh, cameraman's waving the yeah. paycheck behind yeah, the camera yeah, yeah. and Maggie Q as well who... dance for me Paul <laughs> <laughs> act act <laughs> but um, yeah I, I remember like listening to interviews with Carl Urban like, trying to see if he could bring anything to the character but all he talks about is just like um, I got to wear a nice outfit I got a cool hat like, <laughs> so you can tell he's just like and there's another bit as well there's attack on a town and it's like all blowing up to this um, orchestra music yeah, like, yeah. Like, and he's there Conducting, conducting it, yeah, it as yeah. it's exploding, yeah. and everyone else is running around in terror and all that. So I feel like he got how campy this could have yeah, been. Yeah. Kind of yeah, like you wish everyone else was on yeah. his level. Kind of yeah. like how Brad Dourif understands how campy the Lord of the Rings could be yeah. when he's playing Grima Wormtongue, and he's like, "Why do you lay such troubled thoughts on an already <laughs> troubled mind?" And you're like, it, it, reminded, oh. it reminded me of a lot of. Do you remember that film at Dracula Two Thousand? No. With Jared <laughs> Butler. No. With Jared Butler. Yeah, I've never seen it. But there's a... Jared Butler's audition tape came out for that where he's got like the black wig on and he's like really going for it and he's like, I love the taste of your blood. Like, he's really going for it. And you mm. think like, Jesus, this is a bit awkward. But yeah. <laughs> what's even more awkward is he got the role. <laughs> yeah, there's no one I have to give it to him. And uh, there was a line that I mentioned here He when he's... um. Uh, talking to Lily Collins when he's interrogating her he says something along the lines of if you're not committing sin you're not having fun and I'm like that should be like the mantra for the entire film its biggest sin is that it doesn't have any fun with the right, yeah. he's also got a point <laughs> yeah <laughs> to a degree yeah Act he also has the best death in the entire oh, film when okay. the train the big the train the, the, the big, train that's bigger than the train a normal that's bigger train, than a normal yeah. train when it blows up he like leaps into the air into like a, a messiah formation and just burns <laughs> <laughs> mm. he is also uh, plays the villain in Pete's Dragon yeah, I even though I think get it's isn't, isn't, like, isn't his name like Gary or something? Yeah, that? yeah, I think it's so he's like a villain <laughs> in a kids movie, oh, so it's okay. not like he gets brutally murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it, Gary. he just learns a lesson. <laughs> yeah, he, I think yeah. he wants to hunt the dragon. Oh, okay, because oh, yeah. he d- he doesn't realize it's his kid's friend. Oh, okay. But uh, but or I have his, to ask that. Did yeah. you did you get a chance to watch Pete's Dragon? No. I would yeah. love to. I love David Lowry's movies. I love movies. David. I love yeah. to go. But I didn't see. I don't think it got a big release when it came out here. Yeah, and I haven't been able to catch up with it. Okay, uh, Dread. Yes. We've got to talk about Here it, which go. is, yeah. I think, the one successful, completely successful movie where he has a leading role. Yeah. 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 He more than shines in that role. Like, he is absolutely fantastic as that character. Beautiful chin. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> Amazing chin acting. Because it's a Best mo- chin actor in the world. It's a movie where he's playing not just a person, but mm. also a symbol for law and order. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he is the law. He, he's literally, <laughs> he is, literally is a symbol because of the way his head is shaped. Like yeah. You don't see his face, you just see the chin. Mm. But he's got so much presence and all of it's that voice that's mm. so deep. Yeah. Your crimes include multiple homicide and the attempted murder of a judge. If you do not comply, the sentence is death. He's so by the numbers as well as the figure of authority. Like there's a bit where Olivia Thirlby's character Cassandra, um, she she's a psychic yeah. and she can read my, and she suggests that he's ninety nine percent guilty. The one of the criminals they find, and he says something along the line, ninety nine percent doesn't cut it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's, it's. I remember seeing her being introduced in the movie, and I was like, wow, what if Anna Kendrick was in the raid? <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. She's great in it. She I, is really I, good. I really yeah. enjoyed Dread on beating the up the junkies with the cups. <laughs> I love the bit at the start where he's like, he's like. You ready? And she's like, "Yeah." You don't look ready. And then at the end, he's like, "You ready?" She's like, "Yep." Yeah. 
you look ready. <laughs> I think one of my favorite moments in that film is when, because you really get the, the sense of how messed up the whole peach trees complex is. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like you have kids involved yeah. in the crime. Everyone's dressed in like derelict style from Zoolander. <laughs> <laughs> and they jump, these two kids come up behind Dredd with guns and go, yeah. freeze! And he turns around and goes, why? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's great. And he stuns them. He yeah, doesn't kill yeah. them. He doesn't kill them, yeah, which is great. Yeah. Hot shot. Yeah. <laughs> that was br- that's when you know like you're in for a, yeah, a good yeah. 18 certificate yeah, time yeah, when yeah. the first death that he gets. Yeah, it helps too that he's delivering this amazingly sparse dialogue from mm. Alex Garland, mm. which feels almost like new wave, French mm. new wave yeah, and how yeah, yeah. just tight yeah. it is. Yeah. It's did, really good. Did you guys see it when it came out in cinemas? Or did I you? did, yeah. yeah so I did saw it in 3D. Oh, how, how it was actually great because I believe it wasn't shot in 3D that they it was they did the thing where they retro put mm. it into 3D, but it worked because of the slow-mo. Yeah. Because the central premise in the movie is that Ma Ma, who's the villain, played by mm. Lena Headey, amazing so performance. So good. Yeah, really, really good. Incredible. Horrible like, character. Like, yeah, really like, nasty. nasty. Well, you like the bit, the reveal of what ha- of what happened to Donald Gleeson, because you kind of forget about that one brief scene he's in at the start, and then it comes back at the end. You're like, oh shit, yeah, she deserves everything she gets. Mm. Yes, uh, but she's producing the Stuart Costello, which slows your perception of time down to like a thousand percent. Yeah, and so every time that's in 3D, it's interesting the way the bullets like fly mm. through. Yeah. For those who saw The Irishman there's that cut in the movie where it's somebody being shot in the face and you see the bullet go through your head yeah. that's shot oh. that is in dread yeah. 15 times maybe <laughs> and it's always great yeah. <laughs> it's always really interesting to watch that's that great one with the, through the mouth and like yeah and you oh, see his yeah, teeth yeah. coming out with the bullet Ooh. Mm. it's it's a it's a damn shame that the film just didn't perform at the box office yeah yeah. And why do you think that was do you think maybe it was I heard Carl Urban talking about it he said that people it wasn't marketed well in America that people didn't know it was coming out I think it came out after the raid as well mm. and that was kind of a kind of a success in America and it kind of and people were like oh it's just copying this so a lot of people that would have gone to see Dread maybe didn't yeah yeah because like the raid it, it all takes place in an apartment block yeah. where everyone is out to kill yeah. the cops who go in yeah. but with Dread it's a sci-fi because yeah. it's set in this futuristic version of America yeah. where I think in the world where everyone just lives the in, ruins of the old world yeah like the a, mega structures of the new one very good impression of this episode <laughs> thank you it's it's like the whole population of the world is from like Boston to LA yeah and they just be, like live in these massive skyscrapers uh, which is so cool yeah and, and it, it really does look like a city that's been ravaged yeah. by like a nuclear holocaust yeah like, yeah, it, yeah totally and they've lost the the war on against crime so they have these judges mm. who are cops, but who can sentence you on the spot to death? Judge yeah, Jerry yeah, Executioner. Yeah. Judge, you know, Judge Red is that. Yeah. And he does it. And yeah. he's so commanding. Yeah. And I think it's a movie that proves that Kyle Urban doesn't have an ego in mm. the sense that yeah. he's just willing to be used as a prop mm. as part of a great movie. Unlike someone like Sylvester Stallone, who, when he played <laughs> Judge Dredd, took off his helmet yeah. in like 10 minutes yeah. of the movie. Enraged the fans of the yeah. comics. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Do you think that Dredd, the Kyle Urban movie, has had any inspiration on The Mandalorian in the sense that that's a movie where The Mandalorian doesn't take his helmet off. I was trying to think, has that happened in a movie before, Dread? I only just saw it last night and I definitely do, now you brought it up, I do see some correlations between Dread and um, The Mandalorian that they're both ravaged worlds and it's this very kind of um, everyone trying to make meets end by just, like a society that's kind of got, there's no rules. I just think it's, it's great that even if this movie was a flop and not many people saw it. Mm. It did lay the yeah. seeds for something that was a lot more mainstream. Which yeah, was great. Yeah. Which would you is like art. To, Would you like to see more from that world, though, with that dread? Or is it maybe too, time spa- I would, too to much be honest, time has I would passed. love to watch a half an hour Mandalorian-type TV show just set in dread and every episode's mm. him going on a mission yeah. that's yeah. just really stylish and yeah. cool. That would yeah. be yeah. And he's, my he's, dream. He's expressed like interest mm. time after time, but people are asking, like, are we going to see dread again? He's like, 
Hopefully. If, hopefully. Yeah. The hopefully. only issue is that apparently Alex Garland has, has moved away from it. He's like, I'm not interested anymore in doing that. And apparently, yeah. if the rumors are true, he may have had more of just of been just a, a writing credit. More than just a writing credit. He may have... Uh, I think Carl Secretly Urban. Yeah, he directs he, the shit out of that he movie. He tried to yeah. get a directing credit on it, and then him and Pete Travis, who was originally the director, yeah. who was left out of the editing room, mm. ended up forming some agreement. Yeah. Very strange. Because yeah. it's the yeah, Alice wrote it, who went on to make Ex Machina with Donald yeah. Gleason from Dread yeah. and Annihilation. Yeah. So. yeah, so after, I think we should probably take these all in a group, but he's in the lot. Yeah. <laughs> Not great. Not great, Pretty no. Pretty bad. I mean, murder mysteries, those are usually fun. Yeah, usually. Now, imagine one that's terrible. Not one, has, no, not one that has no mystery. <laughs> and has very unlikable lead characters yeah. and a twist that makes absolutely no sense. Okay. Uh, that I can't even explain because it's See, the make. lot centers around a bunch of people who like to sl- cheat on their wives. And uh, Carl Urban is the architect of the Architect group. of a building mm. where they all rent, take like rent. Mm. And Leads the foundations for their misdemeanors escapades you know and then someone's found dead in the apartment and they try and frame Kyle Urban and he has to fight for his innocence and there's that one unintentionally hilarious moment where they try to frame him and they drug him and they strip him and put him on the bed next to the girl they found who's dead and he's still able to articulate as he's joking he goes you're my friends you're my <laughs> friends <laughs> and they're just stripping yeah. poor Carl Urban down <laughs> And then um, there's Hangman as well. Oh, boy. Which, uh, I feel like this happens all the time with with our series, mm. that we type in the actor's name on Netflix, yeah. and you're like, oh, this movie's here, and it's under 90 minutes. I'll watch this. Yeah. And the sad yeah. thing was, it was I watched it the day after I saw The Irishman, which has a great That was why I watched it, because I wanted more Al Pacino, because I really enjoyed his and you got less. performance <laughs> of Jimmy Hoffa. Oh. Um, it's a very seven-ish type, seven-ish movie, seven knockoff. Mm. Urban plays a cop who moved from the FBI back home, to which I believe is its Rotten Tomato score seven. <laughs> <laughs> that was a nice good one. joke. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Urban plays a cop who moved from the FBI back home to be a cop in Georgia after his wife is murdered. Uh, they found they never found the culprit, and then uh, as he's a cop working in Atlanta, he's approached by a Pulitzer award-winning. Journalist or Pulitzer Award winning or Britney, Britney Snow journalist played by Britney Snow starts shadowing him on his like beat because she damn it I'm a Pulitzer nominee not a Pulitzer <laughs> winner um, yeah and they they together they find the body of a woman hung and there's a letter carved into her chest mm. and also Urban and his former retired partner played by Al Pacino mm. their badge numbers are also engraved on the scene somewhere yeah like. It it just it seems so by the numbers like it doesn't do anything different it's by the letters hey because you find yeah. out that um the three of them and the journalist is just always there okay yeah. <laughs> they just yeah. let there's her no in. reason for her to <laughs> exactly, be in yeah. the film at all and, and she she's playing it not like she's a Pulitzer journalist she's yeah. less Veronica Gear and more yeah. um your one in Detective Pikachu <laughs> okay yeah like that's she, a great comparison. she has no like gritty tenacity that a journalist like that would have she like. I think at one point, like one of the chief of police characters, literally just goes, "Why are you here?" Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. "Yeah, good question." You know, um, yeah. So they they're investigating these killings, and each day at 11 p.m., another victim is found dead with a different letter and a clue on the scene. And the gang work out that the crimes are inspired by the children's game Hangman. Yeah, to be, like I've seen worse. Like it's an average dumb premise that isn't taken too seriously. Although they do slightly bungle it by not really emphasizing the spelling side of it. I yeah. wanted scenes of Pacino trying to like crack what the word being spelled is, but that bit's not really that important to the movie. Yeah. You just wanted scenes of Pacino reading books. Yeah, I wanted him yeah. to be like, all right, there's a V here. That's yeah, weird. Yeah. You had a really good joke because the letters are V-O at some point. You're yeah, like, V-O, V-O-D, where this movie belongs. Yeah. <laughs> I also think as well, there's a really sad moment where eventually when the killer is revealed, you, you find out that Al Pacino's character had more of a connection with this character, like when he was a young boy. Mm. And we get to see young Al Pacino 
and I feel really bad for saying this, but the young Al Pacino in that film was more convincing than he looked like in The Irishman. <laughs> it's just him without the goatee. He's like, oh, oh come here, kid. Does the movie look really cheap as well? It looks so cheap and it has really, really cheap stock filler music as well. Like the dun, 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 yeah, dun. Yeah, yeah. Like You could elevate an average kind of murder mystery with just good atmosphere, yeah, you know, yeah. like prisoners or something. They rip off a sound effect from... Um, it as well, like the the chapter. They you know, do the every time the killer leaves like his mark. They yeah. do that. The ending of Hangman does not make any sense, by the way. No, can't wait for the sequel. Hangman. They've they've found the killer. Guillotine. They found the killer. He can't do anything else. And then at the end of the movie, Kyle Urban gets a message with the Hangman, like like on a piece of paper, and you're like, how did he do it? He's like not around. Yeah, it can't be him. They shot him in the head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like Urban is like stoic. There's actually a pretty great moment where he realizes that the killings that he's investigating now are related to his yeah. wife's murder. That bit's actually quite good because it gets very... a little bit juice going, and yeah. there's a good scene with a train that comes after that, which is probably the only really good set piece in the movie. But um, is it like a a bigger than normal train? It's, it's a train not, on like a train. It's a really fast train, but in the city yeah. or in the desert? Yes, Andrew, it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a boat with a goat <laughs> on a, in a train in a plane. <laughs> Uh, brought to you by Green Eggs and Ham now on Netflix <laughs> is, is there still more to say about Hangman? Yeah, I was just going to say like, I feel like Urban took the role because Al Pacino was in the movie I think Urban's actually the lead more than Al Pacino mm. yeah even though Al Pacino's like on the poster for it yeah it's like, very the weird. Netflix poster yeah. but um, yeah but it's like 15 years after that's a good decision to be in a movie with Al Pacino mm. yeah you know yeah. like what was the last time he was great in the movie apart from the Irishman like, it was Insomnia so yeah. new, he's yeah. in Once Upon a Hollywood for one scene yeah. pretty good on that oh my god but um, yeah so it's like not terrible just not like great yeah mm. And then uh, last thing, the boys. The boys. Yeah. Say a few words on the boys. So it's a uh, it's based off a comic book series by Garth Ennis, who's a Northern Irish uh, comic book writer, and it's this world. Essentially, it's um, a satirization on the uh, the Justice League. Oh, okay. Yeah. But they're these uh, superheroes that are uh, to the public. They're these heroic figures and eat your green vegetables and stay indoors and all that. But then behind the scenes, they're kind of a. Uh, they're dickheads. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Carl Urban is this character called Billy Butcher, and he's got his nice Cockney accent, like the one he has in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Listen, fuck. Huey, calm down. <sighs> this is like that scene in The Matrix. Now, you could take the fucking red pill, right? Spend the rest of your life jacking off, crying into your chai tea, green latte, what the fuck. Or you could take the blue pill. Or was it the red pill? Anyway, take the other pill and quit being a cunt. Which pill do you want me to take? Just quit being a cunt, that's what I'm saying. You find out, like, he's a very kind of loose, wild cat. Like, yeah. he's, but he's not taking things seriously. Yeah. And uh, he has some great lines and he has a, a lot of profanity. A lot, a lot of mm. profanity. But he's always, like, what I took note of that, he's always dressed in black. You find out that he was a CIA operative and he was very skilled at what he does. But he always wears, like, Hawaiian shirts over mm. his black jacket. So you can tell that... He's serious about his job, but at the same time, he likes to relish and have fun with it, mm. which you can tell Urban's doing as well, because this seems like an absolute ball to play this character. Yeah, totally. And, and he has some the... great moments as well, where he's to fight an invisible man, because one of the, the superheroes can turn invisible, and when he's beating him up, like more and more blood goes in his face, and it kind of forms yeah, like the yeah. outline, <laughs> the visage of his character. Yeah. And he goes, well, 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 if it ain't the invisible, I'm not going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and while we're, while we're on the topic of like another superhero movie, he's in Thor Ragnarok. Behold. Well. And you had a very good metaphor My for stuff. his character. <laughs> <laughs> what was his the metaphor? You, you had a metaphor for how that role sort of factors into his career. A little bit, yeah, because you find out Scourge, he's, he's essentially this character, an Asgardian warrior who's never really been, he's had a lot of credits 
but he's never been acknowledged for his yeah. like battles and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And he explains when Hela, who's the goddess of death, shows up. Paper Cape Archer, the villain mm. of the movie. Mm. Um, she asks him about himself and he goes, I, I just want a bit of recognition. Like he just wants someone to acknowledge him. Yeah, yeah. And she gives him the chance, but he kind of backs out when he has to execute someone. Like he, yeah. he knows that he wants to rec- he wants people to acknowledge him, but at the same time, he doesn't want to go out of his character to yeah, achieve it. Yeah. And he gets that great redemption arc on the bu- the bridge when he has the machine yeah. guns. It's just a great Some moment. great gun foo in that. Just a little couple of Tex shots. Tex and Oss. Yeah. Or Des Troy. Because <laughs> Des and Troy, when you put them together, they destroy. <laughs> <laughs> He's great in the movie. And it's a beautiful little arc. That yeah. It's a type of arc you don't see a lot of in Marvel movies. Mm. really humanizes it. Yeah. Uh, shades of grey. Yeah. That thing. Always yeah. interesting when you're in the, the movie. The weird thing is, though, like he looks like more like he belongs in Pathfinder in that film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true, yeah. Because he, like, he shaved yeah, his head yeah. for the rope. No, Tiger Watiti shaved his head. <laughs> his first day cool. he was like rotten loose shaved head <laughs> <laughs> and Carl was like are you alright that- uh, and I love that moment where he says I have to announce you to the townspeople and then Thor like flies off because Thor can like propel himself through the air yeah. but he runs all the way there and eventually gets there after Thor has been there for like <laughs> and he goes why isn't uh, and then Loki appears and goes you had one job <laughs> just one <laughs> and it's like yeah acknowledge Scourge and acknowledge Herb but Urban more things. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, on the face of things, Urban shouldn't really be considered a character actor. Yeah. But he sort of earned that status in a different way by constantly having these noteworthy, quirky supporting roles yeah. in huge yeah. movies. While his own vehicles either failed critically and commercially or were great but were underseen eventually mm. becoming cult like Dread. So um, I think the best thing he could be doing is moving to TV where mm. uh, a lot of actors who struggled as leading men and character actors have found a second life, which yeah. we talked about on the show. And um, given that he's mostly made his name in superhero films and tentpole films, I think there's something beautiful and poetic that The Boys, which is a satire out there, it's like satire out there take mm. on those types of films, is where he's found his most recent success. Yeah. yeah. And definitely it's a great meaty role for him in terms of that, at, on surface level, it could be seen as, oh, he's just there for like the punchline or there yeah, for like yeah. the joke or the the like swear the word dickhead yeah. but then when you find out more about his character you kind of see why he does that it's like yeah. a, a counter mechanism for the trauma that he used to deal with yeah um, yeah so I think we should probably wrap up because we're recorded for 63 minutes which yeah, is our yeah. longest step yeah, ever yeah. but yeah good luck to our editor cutting this down <laughs> we love you Charlene yeah. <laughs> no it's great it's great yeah so subscribe to I Know That Face wherever you get podcasts yeah. if you can leave a rating leave a review preferably five stars yeah that would be yeah. great five six even um, you can follow us on Twitter at I know that face P1. Mm. An email, I know that face pod at gmail.com if you have any suggestions or if you're somebody who works in film, I would like to be on the show. Until then, see you later, Cinephiles. Bye bye. Bye bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.